Goes to the movies edition. We've got to come up with some stuff to keep us all entertained with no sports. And I can't think of a better way to do it than by watching classic college football movies and making fun of them. And that's what we're going to do today. Uh, we've got a series that's starting. And this is this is episode one of three. We're going to do three classic college football movies. Today, we're doing Rudy. Later, we'll be doing Necessary Roughness and the program, but today, we're going to get to our favorite film about everyone's favorite walk-on, Daniel Rudy Rudiger, and to talk about it, I bring on two guys steeped in Notre Dame lore. Pete Sampson covers Notre Dame for The Athletic. Matt Fortuna, one of our national writers, has been a Notre Dame beat writer. He has been to the grotto many times. He has probably sat on the bench where Rudy got his acceptance letter and read it. So I, I feel like you guys are the best people to do this. Now, let, before we get started, let's talk about how we originally consumed Rudy because I, th- I think that's important too. It's sort of you know where this hits you in your life and, and what you're doing in life when you watch it for the first time, I think affects how you feel about it going forward. So for me... This came out in October of 1993. We all left after our Thursday football practice. I was a, a sophomore in high school. Uh, I had just been moved up to the to the varsity for the end of the season. So this was not like opening weekend. This had been out for a little while uh, because I didn't get moved up till November. But we all went, and it was one of those team bonding things. And it was like, oh, my, yeah, woo! And so that's that's where I was the first time I saw it. So Matt Fortuna, where were you the first time you saw Rudy? Well, we should have done our live viewing together via Zoom. That way we could see each other cry and see who cries the most the hundred <laughs> time we see it. My first time I saw it, it was some point in high school. I don't remember exactly when it would have been at home, but I do remember. Um, you know, I grew up in New York. Like everyone was Irish and Catholic and loved Notre Dame, but like football just wasn't that big, at least relative to other parts of the country. And um, I remember just people talking about the movie Rudy and you got to see it. You'll be in tears, blah, blah, blah. And I want to say it was on HBO or something at one point and I watched it and uh, it was everything, especially at that point in my life uh, that it was built up to be. And then some, and since then, you know, it's a movie that's on a hundred times a day. It seems like on whatever channel, and I always pick it up whenever it's on and, and when I'm flipping through the channels. And so it was fun to rewatch it from start to finish for the first time in a while because there were so many parts, especially early on, that I had overlooked and forgotten about. Pete Sampson, how, how were you first exposed to Rudy? I think I was definitely a TV uh, viewer of Rudy. It was definitely I didn't have the athletic background to have it be a team-building <laughs> exercise due to not being on any teams. Um, so that, that sort of took that angle out of play for me. But uh, I think it was. I think I was probably in college, probably watching with some college buddies late night, drinking beers, because um, there are definitely some Notre Dame fans that I went to school with. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't have the emotional, uh, overwhelming moments. I think that that was probably a little bit more like the the other Indiana sports movie Hoosiers for me. So, but uh, yeah, Rudy is like Matt said. Now when it's on, you sort of get sucked into it. Um, it's kind of like James Bond movies for me. Like if they're on TV, I can't turn them off. Um, you know, Rudy, Rudy's sort of in that group. Of so films. when Rudy's painting the helmets with the boosters, is that sort of like when uh, when Bond gets to see what Q has for him in this particular <laughs> yes. edition? Yeah, I think, and I think that uh, I don't know if Matt was this way, but I, I felt like I should have gone to the bench across from Holy Cross Junior College to like accept my letter to join the athletic a couple of years ago. That would have been uh, the, the perfect place to do it because certainly our, our higher ups would have appreciated that. Mean, incredible my, video. Mine was the opposite of Rudy. I had Rudy had everyone telling him you can't go there, you'll never make it. I had an Irish Catholic grandmother in Chicago who was a Subway alum who sent me a blank check and said, "This is for you to apply to Notre Dame." And I replied with my report card and said, "Thank you, Grandma, but save your money." <laughs> very nice oh I, I i that part of it 
as I got older, I started asking a lot of questions. And we'll get into this as we go through this, but not all of Rudy is 100% true. And some of it deviates where the real story might actually be a little bit better. But I remember watching it later in life and asking, like, how's Rudy affording Notre Dame tuition? Like, I can understand maybe Holy Cross, <laughs> you know, he, he saved up some money while working in the mill, but how's he affording Notre Dame? And in real life, Rudy went from high school to the Navy. And so he paid for Notre Dame with the GI Bill. Uh, and that's that's one of the... I, because the, the movie just goes, here's his last tackle and his last high school football practice, and it's just four years later, and they've got him working in a steel mill. The other real part of that story that, that may be more interesting than the actual movie is, so he, he, he's in the Navy for two years. He gets out. He goes to work at a power plant back home, and he did have a friend die on the job. That, that happened. There's, you, know, you have the friend who sticks up for him to his older brother who who dies in the mill accident in real life there was a friend who got he got run through a coal crusher essentially and Daniel Ruger had to give him mouth to mouth and couldn't save him obviously and did decide after that I'm going to South Bend so that part of it which you'd think in a movie where they they did do some things and I know it's not a Disney movie but to quote unquote Disneyfy it that was true he did lose a friend and immediately decide I'm I'm going to South Bend. The uh, all of it's true. If you look at the Prime description, if you watch it on Amazon Prime like I did, free with ads by the way. Not that we're about ad- ads at the Athletic, but uh, it did say, and I quote for description: "Rock solid, immensely entertaining, based on fact account of Rudy Rudiker, Sean Aston, a working class boy intent on realizing his dreams of playing football at Notre Dame." So. As far as I'm concerned, it all happened exactly as Sean Aston uh, played it. <laughs> <laughs> even though they had the play like a champion sign in the tunnel, which hadn't even been invented yet when Rudy uh, was at Notre Dame, aside from that. Well, no, it's not the play like I, a I champion this sign, had to be though. Like, isn't it, doesn't it say, isn't it just like a fighting Irish kind of generic sign? No, they have no, they they it. Okay. Champion. okay, that's right, because he's, he's looking it's, at it's the other one in the locker like room. This, yeah, the sign above Play Like a Champion lists all Notre Dame's national championships, and 88, 73, and 77 are not on there, so they took the time to take those off, but left Play Like a Champion up for some reason. I figured this movie was like a Staples classic, because early in the film, the priest, when Rudy is trying to go visit Notre Dame, says, hey, this is the secret to happiness. <laughs> well, exactly. It, the the yeah. priest has the best line in the whole movie. There is a God... And I'm not him. That <laughs> okay. that is the best line. Yeah, in the this whole is movie. like the high school priest. See, I wrote yeah, down a I wrote down a couple quotes from the priest, neither of which were those, and I thought were very telling, particularly for right now. The first one is quote: "This university is not for everybody," which I feel like we hear Brian Kelly say every single week when talking about recruits or players who don't make it or what have you. And the other one I had was uh, like the fifth or sixth time where he didn't get in. Uh, the priest says, quote, those admissions people, you never can tell. They're a funny bunch of squirrels, end quote. Uh, that also yeah. is an evergreen we're... statement about Notre Dame, particularly when it relates to the football program. I enjoyed Ned Beatty's Notre Dame is for rich kids, <laughs> smart kids, great athletes, not us. <laughs> I think that, that sums up a lot of the reason people don't Yet like that's Notre the Dame. Only, the only football they watch in the house. Remember the, the, the neighbor kid tries to get them to turn in, it to Indiana, Indiana Purdue? Purdue. <laughs> yeah. Like, who was Seriously. watching Indiana-Purdue and Joliet? That's what I was wondering. Well, hey. Is that even on? But Purdue, interestingly enough, so Rudy makes the team. He's getting yelled at for being too easy to knock down. And he's, you know, he's talking to that, that one offensive lineman. And he says, you know, you, you got to think of me like, like I'm a guy from Purdue. They're not, they're not backing down. Purdue beat Notre Dame that week <laughs> in 1974. Purdue won that game. Ah. Nothing gets by Andy okay, on the that's, Staples that's show. True to life. Well, like the other it. part is it. I, like it. I also like the. I was going to say the cameo, the uh, the priest quote about there is a God and I'm not him. Right before that, you have Father Hesburg and Father Joyce actually walk through. They're walking with the fictional Father Kavanaugh right there through the Basilica, which is kind of a cool touch, especially you know, 18 years later uh, when those two sort of icons of Notre Dame are. Uh, that's a, a really good touch that I did not notice. Um, 
when I was looking, you know, rewatching a Noah Notre Dame the way I know it from covering them, I was looking for signs like that that I may not, you know, the average fan and or whatever. It's like Stan Lee in a well, Spider-Man well, the, movie. If you're the one thing fan. I caught was at the end as he's being carried off the field, uh, where Rudy's the only one without a name on his jersey. Everyone else has names. There is a Valdeseri carrying him off, and Roger Valdeseri was a I long time SID. And you see like little like winks like that, like it. The Dark Knight Rises, the kicker was the last name Ravenstall. The Pittsburgh mayor was Luke Ravenstall, who kicked in high school, I think. So you always see these kind of like wink winks as a thank you to the people who who really uh, helped make these things happen. And uh, that was a good point with the priest that I did not even realize. With uh, you, know whose name, you know whose name we didn't see on the back of a jersey? And, and by the way, Notre Dame did have names on the back of the jersey then. That was, that was true. But you never saw Montana, even though he was on those teams. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, I don't. Was he still sixth or seventh string at that point? He may have been lower down the depth chart than Rudy. I, I think he was. I think he was playing by that. When, didn't he get knocked out for the season in '75? '75 is the year that Rudy gets in against Georgia Tech, and I believe Montana right. was the starter at the beginning of that season. But I think he got hurt. I think he had a finger injury or something like that, and and was out for the season. But it, it's it's amazing to me how people feel about this movie. And, and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you guys on is I find with with I have some friends who went to Notre Dame and and folks who, who you know have been in the Notre Dame orbit. They view this movie, I feel like, with a lot more cynicism than the general public does. And I was wondering if, if you guys noticed that being around so many Notre Dame people. I think that Rudy is sort of outsized in, I mean, the person, Daniel Rudiger, is sort of outsized in around Notre Dame. Um I don't. I guess uh, I don't get the sense that Notre Dame fans are cynical about the movie. I think in a lot of ways, the reaction that surprises me most is how much when I'm talking to recruits that they've seen it because this movie came out before oh, they yeah, were born. Oh yeah, '93. And I, and I'm shocked that this still has like any kind of recruiting cachet at all for Notre Dame, but it seems to sort of hang in there. Um, so that I don't know that that's sort of my sort of community reaction to Notre to to Rudy I think from around Notre yeah Dame. growing up in New York I mean I, I had family in Chicago and I came out with a buddy once and we went to a, a a Cubs game and who happened to be throwing out the first pitch that day but the real Rudy and we didn't know what he looked like but they announced his name and I'm with uh, one buddy uh, Jake who sees him as he's coming off and had a baseball in his hand and he got real Rudy to sign the baseball and it was like this life-changing moment because that was like what that story meant to us as high school kids not from Notre Dame who who grew up and, and watched the movie and were, were sports obsessed but I felt when I got to Notre Dame to cover them in, in 2011 uh it was kind of like uh I, I don't know it was I wouldn't say go as far as to say like he was persona non grata but it was like there was definitely a big disconnect between like the people who know Notre Dame through and through Versus the people who know Notre Dame through Rudy, which, by the way, like watching it and seeing how similar the campus and the buildings still look to today, uh, what a recruiting tool that must have been at that point in time. I know no one knew anything about Rudy before the movie, but can you imagine today, like a, a university and a program just having that kind of showcase uh, from a visibility standpoint? And then, I mean, it came out during the 93 season, if I'm not right, mistaken. Right, which is a right? great year I mean, for which them. Which was like one of those high points of Notre Dame, in Notre Dame's modern history. Except for the Boston College game. Well, they... they, yeah. they which is it's funny. Yes, it's filmed yes. during Boston College in 92. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe uh, Tom Coughlin was just like, I'm really going to stick it to Notre Dame even more. That's right. Uh, that had uh, You think David Gordon would have had to have been in the stadium that afternoon in November of 92 when... Uh, yeah, Notre Dame beat him 54-7. to um, so they, they ran up the score, I think, even worse than uh, Notre Dame on Georgia Tech in the slightly <laughs> fictional, slightly realistic right. game the, from the, uh, the halfback 75. pass for Rudy. But, so, but, but funny yeah. post, funny <laughs> postscript to that. I was on a call earlier today with someone we all know who we may or may not have been on a text thread with uh, earlier this week who said Lou Holtz was furious during that Boston College game because halftime ran really long and he had to stay in the locker room with his team way too long. The players were coming <laughs> off the field and they saw fake Notre Dame and fake Georgia Tech players coming on and thought, what the hell's going on here? And apparently Notre Dame had its inner hall football championship the next day and they played that game in the stadium. And there were fan shots being filmed while the inner hall football championship was being played on the field. So you got these guys on the sideline basically and in the stands 
wearing clothes from the 1970s, uh, cheering on players from the dorms playing in 1993 uh, in a, a basically a, a flag football game. Why is the guy who's going to direct Iron Man wearing a leisure suit? <laughs> <laughs> Better question. I watched this with my wife. She said, why is Jean Favreau wearing two watches? And he wears two watches at all times. Good point. That is mm. a good question. I never even thought. I never was, noticed was that. Was that when before. South Bend was on Central that. Time? Because didn't they used to be on Central Time and now they're on Eastern? I don't know. I'm overthinking this. They used to be very anti. Uh, <laughs> well, that part of Indiana used to be anti daylight savings time. So right. it's. It's possible, yes. maybe, maybe that's why. I or he was, he was key. You know, one watch was on law school in Miami time, and one watch was on whatever time South Bend was at the time. That that's a good question. I had not noticed that before, but yeah, that that was. Uh, we'll, we'll. I have a Favreau related question later that we'll get to, but and and then it's funny about the the filming of that during the Boston College game in '92. I haven't gotten into my research for the program yet, but I'm pretty sure. It was filmed at Williams Rice Stadium in South Carolina, also in 1992, and they filmed it. I think at halftime of the Tennessee game, which is one where uh, I think South Carolina that was in the Steve Tannehill. Uh, he just started as the starting quarterback and uh, having this miracle run. So having these movies filmed was great for these teams because apparently Notre Dame was fantastic when this was being filmed. Well. Yeah, that was it. Was sort of as good as the whole Sierra got there. Unfortunately, like like it because uh, this is what came out in October, October of ninety three. Like, so they would have been about to beat Florida yeah, State. Yeah, Fl- Florida State was coming up, and then it turned into a kind of a dark couple decades. Well, I, yeah. I think people on campus, no one knew the story of Rudy, right? Like, I know it's this inspiring story, but like the guy also made the movie eighteen years after he had got this, you know, degree from Notre Dame and it thought his life was changing and, and going to be completely different. But I think at the time, you know, as it's being filmed on campus, it was a real pain for a lot of people because they're like, what's, who cares about some story about some walk-on no one's ever heard of before? And so the myth of Rudy grew, obviously, from the movie. But uh, I think it was a, a major nuisance at the time and it obviously turned into a shining moment for uh, for a lot of people. Yeah, it, it is interesting how many people connected with that movie and uh, so the first time I saw it was in the movie theater the second time I saw it was on TV in my dorm room my freshman year at Florida and it was I I was laying in my bed and basically could not move because I was in so much pain from being beaten senseless by Florida's starting defense (laughs) and so I don't cry at movies very often. I did not cry at Rudy the first time. I was bawling during the scenes where he's just getting destroyed by the starting <laughs> offense. It was like, oh, he—they—they they just filmed my life. It, it was, but the thing was, and, and then I'm trying to imagine because he was five six, one sixty five, and I realized players were smaller in the seventies, but he, he was playing against guys that were over 100 pounds heavier than him. I was I was a 238-pound offensive guard at the time, but it wasn't like there were a bunch of 300-pound guys like there are now. We, I think we had like two 300-pound guys on the team. So guys were bigger than me, but not that much bigger. And I'm just trying to imagine what it, what it must feel like to get trucked by a dude 120 pounds heavier than you. How many concussions do you think Rudy got in this movie? Oh. Uh, I, I'd, Are you talking about Sean Astin <laughs> or Rudy? His, his special okay. ability extra. Uh, interesting story about that. Uh, one of the guys I played with at Florida, Travis McGriff, was one of Mark Wahlberg's special ability extras for Invincible. And basically his job was to just get crushed over and over and over again. You know, they'd hit him, basically these dump truck hits, and they'd be like, looks good. Let's do another one. And they just keep doing it. And I can't even imagine how, how, how many times you get concussed doing that. But, you know, it's, it's good work, I guess, if you can get it. But, yeah, I've, Rudy's poor extra. Sean Astin's stunt double must have been just knocked senseless for this they, entire they probably, shoot. They probably get the same speech from the directors that Rudy and the rest of their walk-ons get where they say, your biggest value to us is we don't care if you get hurt. Okay, so let's play that speech right now because that one also hit me very hard differently after, <laughs> after having been a walk-on. So we're, we're going to listen to that speech right now. Let me tell it to you as clean as I can. We have 95 players here, so accomplished as athletes in high school, 
we gave them full scholarships to the best football program in the country. NCAA regulations allow us to dress just 60 for home games, which means at least 35 scholarship players are going to be watching the games from the stands. So if any of you has any fantasies about running out of that stadium tunnel with your gold helmet shining in the sun, you best leave them right here. Of you 15 dreamers out there, maybe we'll keep one or two. My job is to basically beat the shit out of you for the next five days. And whoever is still standing at the end, maybe we'll use for our scout teams. You'll be running the opposition's plays week in and week out. Greatest value to us is we don't care whether you get hurt. Our first teams are going to pound on you like you're their worst enemies. You like what you hear so far? Any of you want to run home to mama? Okay, so when you walk on in a major college football program, you get that speech. It's not in front of everybody. It's in, it's in the office of whoever the walk-on coordinator is. But you do get that speech, and they basically say, we don't care if you get hurt. They don't say it in quite so few words because I think there's a liability issue. But they absolutely say it. And, and the thing is, like in the moment, you're still trying to process. Cause, so when I got the speech... It was in the office of a guy named Jamie Speronis, who was Steve Spurrier's ops guy forever. And he gives his version of that speech. You don't hear a word of that because he's told you, basically he's just told you you made the team. And my, my thinking at that point is, wait, what? I didn't think I was supposed to make this. I was just going to try. But it, it is interesting too. I, you know, we do see Rudy go to era when he's at Holy Cross and say, hi, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come try to walk on for you. But I, I remember now. Maybe it was different in the '70s, but at least in the in the '90s, they wouldn't even let you try out unless they looked at your film. So, you know, I, now I realize Joliet Catholic's a good school but, and, a, and a good football program. <laughs> but I, that's that's the other thing. How much cajoling did did the real Rudy have to do to talk his way into that walk on tryout? Yeah, that was the the unrealistic parts were be I just walked into Eric Parsegian's office and somehow I just I broke into Notre Dame Stadium three times in about twenty got a job of film time. Yeah, including like the gate just sort of like not really being locked um that first time when he when he goes down to the field. So those that uh like if if you had the cojones to pitch a movie about yourself when nobody knew who you were, you'd probably walk into a head football coach's office, I guess. Like, that's probably not that big of a stretch, right? Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> Julia Catholic, I mean, you mentioned it. Mike Alstott went there. Melissa McCarthy, George Mikan, they've had a lot of people in both the athletics and entertainment industry come out of it, not just Rudy Rudiker. Uh, but I, I feel like we've gone through this whole podcast without mentioning really the two most important parts of it and what makes it such an incredible I guess everlasting movie that spans generations. The music. I mean, that's the best part by far. Like, I, I, is, I wrote yes. that down. I wrote that down. I, the score of this thing is incredible. Behind every speech is this swelling music. It's the that, best. They still perfect. play it yes. games from time to time. I mean, it's just absolute best. And uh, you you hear it at political <laughs> rallies that they will put it on. And it's like, oh, that's the Rudy music when uh, Sarah Palin is coming out. They played it. I I wrote this in a story. I wrote this in my game story when they lost to Alabama, but they had played the Rudy music at different points during that charm 12-0 regular season, and they were losing every time they were playing that music in the stadium they came back and won, most notably the Pittsburgh game where I think they came back from 15 down to win. <laughs> it's, it, it is truly amazing, and that's one thing I was thinking of, and, and you guys had texted me after watching the movie and said, I, I was a little surprised at how much I enjoyed it. And I was thinking that to, as I was watching it as well. This is a just a well-made movie. Like, especially if you don't know much about the subject. In fact, the less you know, the more you're going to enjoy it. It's just a perfectly crafted story. And by the way, I believe it is the same screenwriter as Hoosiers. Yep. So I think that, that has a lot to do with it. Which maybe is... Uh... The reason Chelsea yep. Ross, the actor who played Dan <laughs> Devine, has like two of the worst Indiana coaching characters oh, in movie history, guy. where he also played the coach before Norman Dale, and then who tried to get Norman Dale fired. Um, He's in every sports Dan movie. Dan Devine, ever. I guess, is a little bit more <laughs> likable, but like, man, they they gave Dan Devine a really rough ride in this film, which is like kind of one of the bigger controversial points, uh, I think, in the Notre Dame community coming out of it. Just like, 
I guess every movie has to have a villain. Um, but yeah, well, divine, divine. The was villain the kept villain shifting in this, in this movie because it starts out as the older brother, and basically yeah. all the people who don't believe him. But the older brother doesn't believe in him the most, and then steals his girlfriend after he leaves. And that was the other brother. Shit. Both older brothers. <laughs> Oh, that's I don't right. know which that's one's right. worse. <laughs> exactly. So, but then it's got to shift because he gets into Notre Dame. So they have to respect him for that. He makes the team. They have to respect him for that. And then it becomes, oh, Dan Devine is not era, so he's not going to let you dress. But I, I do wonder. I mean, how did the real Dan Devine feel about this? Because in real life, Dan Devine was a big Rudy supporter. Was the one who put him in the game. Was the one who had him dress. Because I, I actually I texted someone who played college football in the early 70s to say, okay, was there a rule about how many you could dress at home games? And he said, I don't think there was. He said there, there always was for conference road games. He, he didn't play at Notre Dame. He played it in a conference. But he said there was no rule for, for home games. And I went and looked. I couldn't find any big crowd shots or, or sideline shots from the 74 or 75 seasons in Notre Dame. But I did find... 73 when they were playing USC they had a shot of the Notre Dame team coming through the tunnel at Notre Dame Stadium there are probably 90 guys dressed there's no way there was an NCAA rule <laughs> that said you could only dress 60 I, I have two stories that would actually validate that account at least in my you know through my mind one is when I first started covering Notre Dame uh, they de- that was the year they devoted the Dan Devine Gate at Notre Dame Stadium, and they did this big ceremony. I thought, oh, I'll go over there. I know this guy is the jerk from Rudy, and everyone's saying all this stuff, good stuff about it. I'm like, hmm, he doesn't sound like that bad of a guy. Which, by the way, Chelsea, whatever his name, Chelsea Ross, every sports movie ever. I mean, Major League, uh, the yes. Ernie Davis, Syracuse <laughs> yep. movie. He's in everything. Uh, the other part of it is. Brian Kelly during his radio show in his first or second year got asked about some walk-on on the team in a Rudy comparison. I specifically remember Kelly going out of his way to say how much more difficult it is for walk-ons today because of scholarship limits, because uh, you were able to dress however many people you wanted at that time uh, in the 75. So, yeah, I remember thinking that last night, too, when he said we're only allowed to dress 60 for home games. I thought, that, that doesn't sound all that accurate. They also say that they have 95 scholarship players. At the time, they were allowed 105. I'm guessing Notre Dame had 105 at the time because they they went down to 95 shortly after uh, that. Jamie O'Hare. Yeah. Yeah, Jamie O'Hare was definitely in the triple digits. (laughs) The Vince Vaughn character. Well, this is the problem. That suffered from a little bit of, of guys look too much alike because I couldn't tell the difference and still can't on repeated viewing between the... Longtime walk-on who helps Rudy, mm-hmm. who's you know whose dad insisted he go to Notre Dame, even though he even, had even though he had, he had two Big, Big Ten, Ten scholarships, he couldn't yeah. get any playing time at Notre Dame. Uh, listen, there was a guy when I was at Florida who had played at LSU as a scholarship player and come back and walked on at Florida because his family were a bunch of big Gators and they wanted so he wanted wanted to be a gator and they weren't going to give him a scholarship so he walked on so but it, it's possible but that guy the the walk on who helps rudy i can never tell the difference between him and the scholarship back who gets booted from the third team to the scout team for being mean to rudy by era vince i'd say like the vince von hair yeah. is much better like he's got he's got a full flow the 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 legacy walk on is a little bit more of a your your everyman type uh, but yeah, like Vince Vaughn, super, super skinny. Right. Um, I think Matt and I have been trying to get him on the podcast. So maybe we can say, Hey, we, we talked up Rudy on our, uh, on the, on the Andy Staples show, but, uh, it's yeah. Between him and John Favreau, it's like, I mean, it, even like the, the Yanto and coach Warren characters are, are kind of like every guy movie characters as well. Yeah. I mean, you see them in a, a ton of stuff. Well, Vince Vaughn, I mean, it, I, it feels like he and Favreau sort of changed places body wise over the next few years. <laughs> and, but now did they start writing swingers while they were filming this movie? I was thinking that. Cause like it had to have been around that time. Right. I mean, I don't know if this was the first movie they did together, but, and I don't even know if that was by design, but they ended up having that run of hits in the nineties together, most notably swingers. And I'm thinking, is this like, were they out on the town going to Corby's every night while filming and just, Coming up with, hey, let's put this in Vegas. You know they were. You know they were. Well, okay, so that's my question. Who had the most successful 
post-Rudy career. You know, Sean Astin played Samwise Ganji in, in the Lord of the Rings movies. And by the way, when I saw Return of the King in the theater, there were people chanting, Rudy, Rudy, <laughs> as, as Sam was carrying Frodo. So we, you got that. And then you've got Vince Vaughn, who obviously has had a, a stellar career. But I would argue Favreau has had the biggest because he directs. Yeah, I mean, financially, it's got to be Favreau. I don't. I doubt it's even close. Yeah, with uh, your 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 because uh, he's Mandalorian, right? Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's all him. That's, like, that's you're you're printing money once you get into Disney World. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, Sean Astin, he opened that uh, Radio Shack in Hawkins, Indiana. <laughs> that's I mean, true. Met, met an unfortunate demise. <laughs> Stayed in state after his football career. Can you imagine what message boards would have done to Jamie O'Hara? I mean, he comes Destroyed in, him. He oh, gets destroyed, destroyed by oh his God. teammates, his coaches. Even the announcer, when they put him in on the last offensive play of his career, he says, <laughs> it's safe to say this guy's career has been a disappointment. I mean, what would the message boards do to a five-star who was getting his ass kicked every day by a walk-on and had the worst attitude ever? You're saying Paul Burmeister <laughs> or Mike Tirico wouldn't have described... Uh, Jamie O'Hare in, that, in similar terms. They, uh, as long as he studied hard and got his degree, I'm sure they pat him on the back and say thank you. The thing is, there is that guy at a lot of different programs. I mean, oh, yeah. that that guy is has except is he, he, tra- he transfers when he's not playing when he gets demoted. To the exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he would have been in the portal immediately. So, how did it hold up on rewatch? Did, did you did you feel the same way? You're, we're obviously in very different parts of our lives now than. Than when we first saw it. So, so how did it hold up? I I liked it more. Um, I think it the production held up surprisingly well. It didn't feel like an an old dated movie, even though it was, you know, portraying the seventies. I, I feel like peri- um, I period movies tend to hold up pretty yeah, good. Period movies tend to hold up better. This was a seven a movie set in the seventies, made in the nineties. So, I feel like those tend to hold up a little bit better. I may also be totally susceptible to tear jerker movies right now as I was getting emotional on like two guys in Barcelona playing Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. Uh these are just weird times. Like if I if we had done this podcast in January where you know we were at our regular levels of uh cynicism, maybe I would have felt a little differently. But uh it it definitely it filled a need for me last night watching Rudy. It just it it definitely had some some good feel good factors to it. You were the target audience. Ryan McGee talked to the real Rudy for a story in December or January <laughs> on ESPN and it he basically you know, the whole crux of Rudy's argument was like, Well, people feel good about it. What you know, I'm inspiring people, like and there's all these other stories that probably don't hold up. But uh, I thought it held up I, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would rewatching it for the like hundred time or whatever and knowing everything I know about college football in Notre Dame. Um, I think part of it, yeah, is the production, the music, the the fundamentals of the story. Uh, I remember in 2012 when the real, real Rudy got in some legal trouble for as part of a pump and dump scheme with a sports drink. He came out with a biography right around the same time and took zero responsibility whatsoever and basically said the world was out to get him. And I thought, like, I'm done with this guy. My childhood hero, like, how dare you? Uh, once you make your peace with that and can separate reality from the theatrical, I think it's a very great movie. Like, I, I have no shame in saying that. Um, I don't care how you feel about the school or about the man. Uh, that that movie still holds up. I, I still, you know, when I hear that music and seem to go through everything. And we haven't even talked about Fortune, who I had to Google his name, the the, the groundskeeper, Charles S. Dutton, baby. I was a so I, I was a big rock fan, uh, so I, I I love Charles S. Dutton because that that was a they were the ones that would do like the live show, not just in live in front of a studio audience, but live live. Because I think Charles S. Dutton had a Broadway background, but uh, they. He he's great. Apparently, he's an amalgam of three different people, and I I'm not sure if I like him better or I like the Anthony Anderson version of him <laughs> in the JJ Watt Saturday Night Live Rudy skit. And, and and for those who haven't seen it, and we'll play we'll play you a little clip in a second. But Rudy is uh, is Robbie in this skit, and JJ Watt plays one of the other Notre Dame players, and they're trying to decide if they're going to let Robbie dress for a game. And JJ Watt's point is. No, he stinks. He pooped himself on the field. A Clemson playoff game, not just any game. (laughs) Yes, that's right. That's right. A playoff game against Clemson. And so the Anthony Anderson version of Charles S. Dutton as Fortune comes in. And 
Rudy, uh, Robbie's like, didn't you tell me if I just had heart? And he's like, eh, I didn't go that far. Robbie can have my spot too, coach. This is what you want? Yes, sir. Robbie deserves a coach. And what about you, Riley? You want Robbie to take your spot? No! He sucks at football! You guys want Robbie to play in a playoff game? That is bad crazy! We're gonna lose! He sucks ass! Have you seen him in practice? So, he, that was tremendous, but, but yeah, Charles S. Dutton lent a lot of gravitas to that, and I, I do like that. I, I don't know nothing about it. Yeah, he, it, that character, it, it kind of, sort of like grounded the story with this guy has seen some things, uh, and then his, his sort of speech when Rudy quits, right. which I, I, I don't know the, I guess the veritas of that, like, Rudy doesn't seem like a guy who's going to quit right on his last practice. Well, I mean, that didn't happen. Nobody turned their jerseys in. Yeah. That, none of that sort happened of fits because into obviously that. you didn't need to. Yeah. They, they were going to dress Rudy for that game. They loved Rudy at yeah, that point. Yeah, so. like that speech in the stadium just like about, you know, that he had he played it and quit and, you know, doesn't a week doesn't go by with he doesn't regret it. I thought that was kind of an, a very grounding and significant part of the movie that that definitely still registers my thing on that one is it's a practice in shirts and helmets you're not quitting for practice in shirts and helmets (laughs) shorts and helmets is easy you don't have to get hit so there's no need to quit i I was in charlotte at the nagurski banquet uh in december and ross browner was there and i ended up next to his next to him at a table during lunch and he was telling me the story of how he played with rudy and how rudy you know was a good friend of his and credited him for a lot of help. And as they, we talked about Joe Montana's absence in the movie, uh, Rudy came over to the Browner's house to screen the movie for the first time with them. And he said, just a heads up. I fought like hell to get you guys in there, but you guys didn't make the cut. I, that was Ross Browner's retelling of what Rudy told him. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Wow. Hmm. Well, and the one, I, here's one thing I, I meant to mention earlier that I had not thought about. One thing I liked about this that they did that I think, helps because you Rudy is an underdog but you can't make someone completely downtrodden you gotta you gotta give them some sort of positive characteristics and obviously his his determination all that but he has to have something he's also good at and the best part is when D Bob's like you can talk to girls (laughs) and so I need you to talk to girls for me and you realize that Rudy's a pimp well, I mean, there's also no doubt that D Bob would have a building named after him. At Notre Dame <laughs> if he was like a real person. No question. I mean, he gets out of a limo. It's like the archetypal Notre Dame fan of 2020. Drinking champagne. No I, less. I, I don't look it up. So I don't know what year that would have been. I think they only let women into Notre Dame starting in 1971. And that scene. Right, yeah, I looked post- that up, too, because I was like, how many women are <laughs> right. at Notre Dame? John Favre was like, I already got the 70, ball at Notre 74 Dame. 74 and 75. I mean, yeah, so, yeah, it's like yeah. he knows all four of them. Like, that was interesting. But, I mean, going back to that, you know, the, the woman part, and I want to stress this earlier. Who the hell dates someone that leaves them for their brother and still talks to them and still has them at the Christmas table and they still come and watch him play? Like, that part, like, that does that happen? Like, to... to, to, to... Listen, blood is thicker than, than water, Matt Fortuna. This, where else are you going to go to find a job that pays over five bucks an hour, union protection, and family protecting you on your front and back sides? Where, where else are you going to go, Matt? It just I mean, the one brother who's just a royal jerk, and there's a good bar fight, which I forgot about early on with the friend who ends up dying. Throw him Great out! bar fight. <laughs> and then the other brother who's supportive, but then steals his girl while he's away chasing his dream. I mean, for all I the... Think clearly, the, the girlfriend dumped him when he went af- left after the funeral. Either like, way. She like, said, if you're, if you're going to yeah, go, I, you're going to go by yourself. Either like, way. I, thought I, mean, I don't put this them. one on her. There, there, there's... <laughs> She, she seemed like she'd put up with a lot from Rudy. Still, yeah. So I, I definitely don't put that well, on her. Then put it on the brother. I mean, I just, I don't know. That that, that one um, that one doesn't sit well with me. But that got us to the don't I know you line when he's practicing when he's on the team with the girl who's running the booster club, which is kind of like Absolutely. Rudy's a poor man's how do you like them apples kind of line, which <laughs> I thought was excellent. 
underrated, oh, it's, underrated it, that, dialogue. That was she was, she was straight out of central casting. How many times did she say, it's the rules, every time he said, can I yeah. do this, can I do that? I mean, there's a domer if ever there was one. <laughs> it's it, it's interesting for me, it, it, upon rewatch now, I, I realize how much more cynical I've gotten as I've gotten older. Because I was, I was all in, I was on board. Movies like this were just... Uh, right up my alley when I was when I was in high school, college, and now I'm just like, you could dress more than 60 guys. Nobody <laughs> laid their jerseys down. It's just, I can't, I can't do, I can't turn that part of my brain off anymore, and I, I kind of wish I could. I'm the same way, but I enjoyed it. I mean, maybe it's because I've gotten, I don't know, I, I had those same thoughts, and I've expressed those same thoughts, but when I sat down to watch it for two hours uninterrupted last night, uh, I was... I don't want to say I was transported to my high school self. I don't want to go that like extreme, but I I thoroughly enjoyed it, especially probably probably a little because of what Pete said. Like it's just a uh, a time in this country in the world where we can use all the kind of uplifting, positive, you know, quirky, corny little stories we can get. And uh, Rudy really uh, carved out a niche in that regard. I think Andy's right though. It's like you rewatch Hoosiers five years ago, and it's like this basketball is terrible. Like. He- <laughs> Norman Dale doesn't know what's what he's wrong doing. with the lane. Or you watch, or you watch like Friday Night Lights, the TV show. And it's like these plays are absurd. These never happen. Um, yeah, it's. It, I think in some ways, like the football, while there's not a lot of it to me. I mean, Andy, you'd speak to this better. You played it, but like it seemed fairly realistic, did it not? Like it did. It did. They did a good job with that. And I, so I know the guy who has done a lot of the football scenes in quite a few of the football movies over the last 20 years. He did uh he did uh, uh Varsity Blues. He did you know, he did I think he worked on Miracle cuz he does a lot of the different sports movies, but um yeah, they 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 try very hard to get people who know what they're doing. Now, sometimes they have to find Guys who are a little bit different sizes because their actors are are different. But it's funny because this is one where you wouldn't. You would want your normal size, huge football players to make Rudy look tiny. You know, when they made Invincible, they had to find shorter guys to make Mark Wahlberg look like Vince Papali, who was I think six two. So this one, it it was fine. You could just probably get real a bunch of real football players because they were supposed to tower over Rudy. So yeah, I, I thought the football was good. I, I thought the, the acting was fantastic. And again, if you don't let yourself get too cynical about the story, it's really, really good. Now, I, before we finish, I have to ask the question that is on everyone's mind. Really the only question that matters. We'll start with Matt Fortuna, then we'll go to Pete Tamsin. Did I cry? Yes. The first time. <laughs> well, there's a better, better question than that. Was Rudy offsides? That's what the question, of course. So... It's funny you bring that up because we're we're going back. I forgot to mention this as we're talking about the way we we watched and came to learn of the story of Rudy. My freshman year at Penn State, um, Penn State played Notre Dame in week two, and a lot of people were wearing Rudy was offside shirts, and I thought that was the funniest freaking thing in the world as an eighteen year old who had no sense of anything and had never heard that joke before. I thought, wow, like give whoever created that shirt a million dollars. Now it's like I hear that on Twitter every single time I tweet that like the sky is blue. Um, I say he's not, and I'm going to go to my grave saying that Rudy uh, was not offsides and that he uh, got that sack cleanly. If we can believe, at least theatrically, that players turned in their jerseys, he was onside. That's yeah, not not. It doesn't reach a unbelievably factor that I, I'm going to get hung up on the offsides, but it is it is an enjoyable game day sign that you see from time to time on ESPN. So while I was looking to see how many people were on the sidelines or coming out of the tunnel at Notre Dame Stadium, I did happen upon footage of the actual play. And the movie makes it look like he's offsides. In footage of the actual play, he looks like he's lined up in the right place. I I mean, I hate to say it. I hate to bust that that (laughs) bubble. But he looks like he's very much onside and did not jump the snap or anything like that. But in the movie, he absolutely looks like he's offsides. By, by the way, that jacket is iconic. 
I think we need to touch on that if we're going to talk about. That's uh, another so, thing to tell well, over it, time. It, I mean, found it at a at a consignment shop, and in then Gary. he tells them that he saved up a thousand dollars to go to Notre Dame, which is very cute and quaint. Uh, knowing what we know, now you can right buy now. that jacket for a thousand dollars in Notre Dame's bookstore. Exactly, but I, I can't tell you how many uh, friends in high school bought that exact same jacket um, in high school um, and wore it around because. Uh, when you're an Irish Catholic and don't have a hometown football team, which is kind of how Notre Dame has is, is built its brand, so to speak, in those large metropolitan markets, um, Notre Dame is everything. And uh, I, again, I'm just trying to picture right now uh, any school having a movie like that uh, on their campus with all those real scenes, or at least real shots of the campus and thing. Like, how could you not want to go to Notre Dame if you're an 18 year old watching that movie for the first time? not knowing what you know about everything about college football. It's such an ad for Notre Dame. And you're right. It, it, the buildings look that way now. So in, in 1993, they absolutely, you know, you, you could just walk in and, and essentially feel like you were walking onto a movie set. And I remember the first time I went to Notre Dame to cover a game was 2001. So that would have been eight years after the movie came out. And it, it really did feel like I was on a movie set. It, they they do a great job keeping that campus up and, and just making it beautiful. But uh, that movie captured the beauty of that campus in a way that, yeah, I, it, it will be a recruiting film for Notre Dame forever. I mean, my wife points out she she swam in college at Fordham, and we're watching it. She goes, "Oh wait, that's uh, Rolf's the Aquatic Center. I swam there." Like it's the exact same in the movie as it was when she swam and as it is right now. It's no longer the basketball practice facility. They finally got an upgrade in that regard for the hoops team. But uh, the way that has held up and the way that campus, as much as it's evolved, particularly with the football stadium in recent years, uh, the way everything still looks very similar, I think is very, very impressive. Also, did the Observer break the story that Eric Parzizian resigned? Well, I, Ooh, remember, I he already knows that Dan Devine is replacing right. him. But it, so unless it was bang bang, but the but the headline I, I was Ara, wish it had been the headline Jerry. was Ara steps down, yeah, and then he says Dan Devine. So he could have gotten word before the public did, as he tells John Favreau. I don't know because you got all your news, all your information from newspapers back then. I feel like Rudy would have found a way to break that. <laughs> <laughs> Rudy was always on his hustle, so he would he would have found a way to break that. But yeah, so and and, and you mentioned the pump and dump scheme earlier. I think he had to pay. Uh, like four hundred thousand dollars or or thereabouts to uh, as a fine to to settle that deal, and then the the guy who was marketing the sports drink had to pay even more. But yeah, is it was a uh, a dark chapter in, in Rudy's who, life, and, and a dark chapter for all of us who believe. Who, who is the? <laughs> I, I, we could probably have this discussion for another hour. If there's one person in college football. Um, who is like the Rudy, the Rudy that we're told to believe is real from the movie? Who do you think fits that bill the best? Uh, I mean, does Baker Mayfield work for you? I'd say da- I'd, I'd, say Dabo, I'd say Dabo Sweetie. I mean, he literally lived in a dorm with his mother because they were so poor, and now yeah. he's at the top of the sport. A little more earnest. I think Dabo's life. Dabo, yeah. <laughs> Dabo's life story would probably be a better movie than Rudy if you do it right. Yeah. Yeah, he won a national title as a player. Now, yeah. yeah, now he played a lot later in his career. He he played a lot more than Rudy did. He was a he was a starter, but I mean, what what he, he you guys have heard the Discovery oh, yeah. story, that right? That one's insane. Oh, so he's about to leave Alabama before I think before his senior year, and he doesn't have enough money to pay his rent. He doesn't have enough money to pay his tuition, and he he's he's ready to go. He's called everybody and said, "Hey, I'm coming home." And he gets something in the mail from Discover saying, you know, you've been pre-approved. So he calls and says, what does this mean I've been pre-approved? And how much have I been pre-approved for? And they tell him it's $1,000 or something. And, and the total he owes is like 900 bucks. And he says, well, how would I get that to somebody? And they said, well, if you look in the envelope, there's three little checks. And you just write that check to somebody like you would a check out of your bank account and and we'll pay it and he's like anybody he said yeah anybody <laughs> and he writes the checks how he's not gotten a discover card ad i don't know and half half his his teammates on the 92 title team are now the entire coaching staff of the best modern day dynasty well one of two great modern day dynasties in college football i mean it, it really would be like 
that that real story is, is significantly better. I mean, the, the way you would sell that one would be very interesting. The thing is, Dabo's been too busy winning championships because Rudy, in real life, spent the entirety of the 80s trying to get that movie made. He kept saying, my story's a movie, my story's... And nobody believed him. They, I kind of want to see the documentary about Rudy trying to get the movie made. I don't. It sounds like the most <laughs> annoying thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, boy, that could be rough. But that that's what Rudy no, was as a player, yeah, too. Were, it's the were same there thing. Any, and I did have the DVD at one point, but... Were there ever any like deleted scenes or extra scenes or anything like that that ever surfaced? Or were there any like anniversary packages that? I mean, what what did it make the cut? I want to know. Ross Browner, that, that apparently. I'm curious about. <laughs> Ross Browner, uh, Montana, Joe yeah. Montana. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe some more of the practice footage, more of the the him trying to make because you do kind of get rolling pretty fast when he keeps getting denied admission because they show every semester, essentially. And my thing was, why didn't you just move? Every time he opens it in that hallway, he gets denied admission. As soon as he goes to the bench, he's good to go. I think every single college football player should watch that right now as they're all in lockdown of how to work out on your own without teammates when you can't get back to campus because Rudy worked his ass off when he didn't even have a bed to sleep in at night and he still was able to walk onto the best college football team in the land. So I think it should be great training material right now for uh, everyone around the country. Yeah, you just, all you have to find is stadium <laughs> and run around the concourses. You got to break in first, no problem, and then you can stay in shape that way. Exactly. Easy, easier, to do, easier to do now than it was back then. Yeah. yeah. Nicole Auerbach and I have a story coming out about that next week. So... Uh, Maybe maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll find a stadium to, to break into. <laughs> if only you lived in a college town, do some, Andy. Do some workouts. If only. Actually, they leave that stadium open most of the time, although probably not now. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. But, gentlemen, thank you. It has been a pleasure. I hope everyone enjoyed the Andy Staples Show Movie Club. Next week, we're going a little more hardcore with a movie that came out about the same time as Rudy but was a lot more modern at the time. The program. That's right. Sony Corleone as a major college football coach. Kane is able. Place the table. Oh, I can't wait. This is this is gonna be beautiful. This is why I got into this business, boys. Forget the writing. Forget the eating. The live sports. Finally, I get to make get people. People will actually tune in to listen to my thoughts on the program. Uh, the fact that I literally told people in my family last night, I have a homework assignment tonight. I need to watch Rudy for the 100th time, especially right now. That's a pretty blessed life we get to live. We make dreams come true at the, <laughs> at the Athletic. That's what we do. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Andy.